Welcome to the Celtics Pod. I'm Eric Bain and Bosch. All right, Celtics uh, starting to play a little bit better. Obviously, uh, fans were not feeling so well after uh, Gordon Hayward suffered that gruesome injury. And I have to admit, every time I see the Celtics play, uh, I always think to myself, or I always wonder, what would it look like if Gordon Hayward were here? What would it look like if he was playing? And I know it's great, like some of the silver linings and stuff, like getting young players more involved and stuff like that. But I still can't help but think about what it would look like with Gordon Hayward. But they have... Uh, strung together a four-game winning streak without them. They beat Miami on Saturday night in what was a, a great game, fun game to watch. Kyrie Irving, uh, a fantastic game, especially late in the game. Uh, help him pull away there at the end. He had a game-high 24 points. So, yeah, he helped them uh, pull away at the end there with a floater with two minutes left. Reverse lay-in with 140 left, and that reverse lay-in was pretty impressive. That was pretty sweet. Uh, a three with a minute left to go in the game, go up seven, and then ices the game with a couple of free throws. So uh, Kyrie has been awfully fun to watch. Uh, he went uh, in that game versus Miami, 10 of 23 from the field, two of eight from three-point range. So it's not exactly like he was super efficient or anything like that. Uh, and his shooting this year hasn't been very efficient, but he's making huge shots. And he's uh, just dazzling at the rim and dazzling with his uh, ball handling as well. So he's certainly fun to watch. Played pretty well opening night versus Cleveland. Didn't shoot well over the next three games. And people started asking what's up with Kyrie Irving, what's up with the shooting. Uh, But he was pretty impressive versus Milwaukee. 24 points, 10 of 18 from the field, 7 assists. All sorts of great plays in that game. There's that one play where he was one-on-one with Malcolm Brogdon, and then Chris Middleton came over to double-team, and then Kyrie just spins away from the defenders, does a floater as the shot clock expires, and it kind of bounces around a little bit and then eventually falls in. And then there was that uh, drive past Giannis Antetokounmpo. Drove baseline, does that up-and-under reverse lay-in that he's uh, so good at, and that was another great highlight from him, but... He's one of those players, you know, you go to work and you talk to the coworkers and stuff like that. They're always like, did you see that great play from Kyrie Irving? And it's like, well, which one? And then Scal uh, at the end of that Miami game says, we're witnessing something pretty special. And I think we certainly are. Uh, Jason Tatum witnessing something pretty special with Jason Tatum as well versus Miami, 20 points, six of nine from the field. Looks like Jason Tatum has really adjusted pretty well to the pro game. Seems to have a great feel for the game. Uh, Great in transition. He's knocking down threes. uh, 43% from three-point range for him. Played really well versus the Knicks, too. First time in Celtics history in that Knicks game that uh, the Celtics have ever had a duo. uh, Each under 22 years old score 22 or 20 plus points a piece in the same game. So that was a pretty special night for those two young players. Uh, Tatum scored 22 points in that game, pretty efficient again, 9 of 15 shooting. And uh, Brad Stevens spoke to him. Uh, oh, he said over those first three games, he said that Tatum was a little hesitant shooting at times, uh, not getting shots up quick enough. Passing up open looks, deferring to uh, you know your stars like Al Horford and uh, Kyrie Irving, but it seems like he's been a little more assertive, starting with that Knicks game. So 
Uh, he's looked pretty impressive. Uh, a lot of great plays in that Knicks game. He had that put-back dunk off the Aaron Baines miss, and he also blocked Courtney Lee. And then on the other end, got an alley-oop from Terry Rozier. So uh, he's pretty exciting. He makes the game awfully fun to watch. And I think you know he should be in that Rookie of the Year discussion because all the talk was he wouldn't get as much playing time as some of the, some of the other young guys um, not as much as Markel Fultz, and he is getting more playing time than Markel Fultz. Jason Tatum is playing 33 minutes a game. That's his average over the first couple of games of the season. And obviously the 33 minutes a game has a little bit to do with uh, Marcus Morris being out, Gordon Hayward uh, likely suffering a season-ending injury. So he's getting more playing time than people had expected and getting some playing time uh, with the starters. But he should be right there in that uh, Rookie of the Year discussion. Jalen Brown, another young player for the Celtics. He had a really great game, as I said, versus the Knicks. Uh, 23 points, 9 of 16 shooting, just attacking the basket constantly. Uh, spin moves along the baseline, all those fun things to uh, watch as a Celtics fan. Playing some great defense as well in that Knicks game. Uh, Block Canner in the first quarter. He had a steal that led to that reverse monster jam, which was just absolutely sick. When when uh, Jalen Brown has the ball on a fast break and it's just a clear lane between him and the basket, that's when you're like on the edge of your seat like, oh man, what are we going to see? What is he going to do? And he didn't disappoint with that reverse dunk. That was just, uh, that was fun to watch. That was a monster jam. Um, so that was set up by a steal by Jalen Brown. Had some pretty good defensive plays versus Miami as well. Uh, Deion Waiters stole the ball, and then Deion Waiters is going the other way. And the whole time, Jason Tatum is stuck to him like glue, like all the way up the court. And then, you know, uh, Jalen Brown challenged the shot. Deion Waiters misses. So he's made a lot of great defensive plays, and that's something the Celtics need from him. That's something Brad Stevens talked about after losing uh, Avery Bradley was, you know, we need to take advantage of his athleticism and his length and his athleticism, his length would provide versatility because he could match up against, you know, some ones, some twos, switch on to fours and stuff like that. So he seems to be getting it on the defensive end. Does kind of seem like, though, his uh, shooting needs to become more consistent since that Knicks game he's only three of 17 shooting two of eight from three so he has been struggling uh with his jump shot over the last couple of games but you know like I said there's still uh he's got still got a lot going for him he's great in transition great size great athleticism uh playing great defense and stuff like that so Jalen Brown has showed despite his shooting struggles recently showed an off shown an awful lot over the first couple games of the season you know who showed a lot, especially in the first half of that uh, Miami game, was Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart was just a stud in the first half of that game. He finished with 16 points, 6 of 12 shooting, but you know he was scoring off pick and roll, uh, he, scoring off pick and roll, attacking the basket, putting up a floater, I think on one of his buckets, pulling up at the free throw line for a jumper on another one. Knocked down a couple of deep threes in the first half versus Miami, showing some really sick handles, acting as a primary ball handler, setting up the offense, 
uh, making great passes. He had the alley-oop to uh, Daniel Tice versus Miami. So Marcus can get Marcus can get in a groove, and he plays with a lot of swagger and a lot of confidence out there. I really like him uh, initiating the offense, being one of those primary ball handlers. You know, and it's offensively he can get so hot sometimes, and you you watch him play like the way he played versus Miami and then you wonder like how did this guy only average 28% from three point range last year you know because there are certain nights where he plays like an all-star and he looks like an all-star like if he played uh, more consistently like the way he played versus Miami he would be an all-star player he didn't play so well in that Milwaukee game he took a pretty bad three like a foot behind the three point line uh, defending or defended by the freak 17 seconds left in the shot clock, and he launches up this contested three. So then Reggie Miller's on the call, and he's like, bad shot, Marcus. And he goes, you're you're a poor three-point shooter for your career. What makes you think you can make that shot? And that's a good question. Uh, he also posted up uh, Chris Middleton twice. And Chris Middleton's got four inches on Marcus Smart. So when he posts him up the first time, it's a difficult shot, and it doesn't go in. So... You know, what does he do after that? He posts up Chris Middleton again, and he gets another difficult shot, and that doesn't go in either. So it's like he's so confident sometimes, and he plays so well. Uh, you know, plays well where he's handling the ball, distributing the ball, uh, running pick and roll really well, knocking down shots. You know, he's getting a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities, and he looks great. And then there are other times where he's launching up threes contested, like with 17 seconds left in the shot clock, a foot behind the three-point line. And, you know, like those post-ups versus Chris Middleton, like Al Horford, when Al Horford uh, is in the low post and he's being defended by a bigger player, Al Horford has a tendency of passing out of those situations because he knows it's a more difficult shot. Like when he was defended by uh, Greg Monroe versus Milwaukee, he would get matched up versus Monroe, and then he would pass to a teammate. But Al Horford is uh, such a savvy veteran, such a smart player, seems to always make the right plays, seems to always set up great scoring opportunities for his teammates. Uh, Versus Miami, 12 points, 9 boards. Uh, Monster game in Milwaukee. Because in that Milwaukee game, both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum struggled. Uh... They both put up a little more offensively in the second half. Um, they did not carry the team like they did versus the Knicks, but Al Horford and Kyrie Irving did in that Milwaukee game. Horford, 27 points, 11 of 14 shooting, 4 of 5 from 3, and Al Horford's defense has just been absolutely awesome. Uh, Brad Stevens said he doesn't get the credit he's due uh, as a defender. Um Shutting down Kristaps Porzingis, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. So on the defensive end, Al's been pretty good. And he's scoring from inside, scoring from outside. Of course, like I said, he's got that great passing. He seems to be developing a really nice two-way game with Kyrie Irving. Those two seem to be playing off one another. And, uh, you know, that looks pretty sweet. And again, (laughs) I wonder what it would look like with Gordon Hayward to have Al and Hayward and Kyrie Irving out there. I mean, it looked pretty good through four preseason games and six minutes of regular season action when the three of them were out there together. But we'll have to save that. We'll have to wait until next year. (laughs) 
Um, it does. It's frustrating, though. Like, I, I'm sorry. I can't help but, you know, bring up Gordon Hayward because Celtics fans just clamoring for fireworks. We want fireworks, Danny. Ever, ever since Wick Grosbeck suggested there would be fireworks years ago, people have been asking for fireworks and expressing their disappointment when they don't get a great fireworks display. You know, and then Danny Ainge over, you know, so many years touted that um, cap flexibility and tradable assets and all these young players and stuff like that and this bright future. But, you know, saying he has the assets to bring in a great player and stuff like that. And it's like, well, come on, Danny, let's do it. Let's do it. And he makes all these big splashes in the offseason last year. And we finally get fireworks. We get it at Kyrie Irving. We sign Gordon Hayward, and then Gordon Hayward, six minutes into the season, suffers a gruesome injury. And it's like, we've been waiting for these moves. The moves came. We're excited. We're anticipating a great season. So excited for opening night. And then six minutes into it, it's just like, it's like it was a complete heartbreaker. And then obviously for Gordon Hayward, you feel completely bad for the guy because it was a gross-looking injury. And he's excited to join the team and play with Brad Stevens, play with uh, Al Horford, all the young guys play with Kyrie Irving, wants to be out there help, to help his team. He can't be on the floor, uh, has to go through that grueling rehab process, you know, and you feel for the guy because it's a crappy situation, you know, for him. As a basketball fan, I'm like, oh, no, it hurts the team. But if you think about it, there's a human being here who really suffered a gruesome injury, and now he's got all this stuff that he's going through. So it's like it's, it's an unfortunate situation for him. But – uh, Kyrie Irving, or excuse me, uh, Al Horford. Back to Al Horford. A long tangent on Gordon Hayward. So it's just, do you know, back to Gordon Hayward. When Gordon Hayward suffered that injury, I was so disappointed. And I was so disappointed when I went to bed that night. I had a dream that I was on a bus, like a city bus, talking to a guy about Gordon Hayward's injury. And then when I woke up in the morning, it was the first thing that I thought about. And to me, it's like some of these sometimes things happen in sports where it's like there's something so upsetting in sports where like you suffer, you know, for a couple of days of sports related depression. And that's what that did that for me, that Gordon Hayward injury. And I remember it's happened to me before uh, 2003 in the ALCS versus the Yankees. Grady Little leaves. Pedro Martinez in too long and the Red Sox blow the game and you're just like, Brady, why did you leave Pedro in? We were so close to going to a World Series and that, of course, was, you know, the curse was still in effect, I guess, at that point. So Red Sox fans were still waiting for that first championship, you know, or the Patriots losing to the Giants uh, in their undefeated season. Like, those were heartbreaking losses and this one, I, I'm, I was completely bummed out for days after that and sometimes when something happens like that with, with me, I will just avoid sports completely. Like I will not listen to sports talk radio. I will not watch Sports Center. I will avoid all things sports related for a couple of days. And the next day I was in no mood to talk about Gordon Hayward the next day, but you know, obviously the future's still very bright for that basketball team. They have so many good young players and they have some good veterans on the team as well who are locked up for a couple of years. Kyrie Irving's got two years, only twenty five years old. So still uh, still a bright future, but it's just like that's kind of been the way it's been with the Celtics for a couple of years, a bright future. Like it's they've had a good team over like the last three years, 
uh, and they've been able to get to the playoffs and they've been able to win some games. But that whole time you're thinking they're not going to win a title, but we have a bright future. We'll be a contender very soon. And then you finally get to that point where you may be at that point and then you lose a, a great player. So back to Al Horford. And uh, back to Al Horford, I guess, just being, you know, a smart player, all the things he does. Um, You know, there was a baseball pass from Kyrie Irving versus Miami. He's under the basket, you know, gives a couple of pump fakes, two defenders bite. They go flying right by him, goes up and one. So, you know, he does a lot of those things where it's like it doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. And people are like, oh, Al Horford, I mean, he's. You know, he's not scoring 20 points per game, not like anyone expected him to do that when he came in. But, you know, he's not, you know, making all these flashy plays or racking up the points or whatever, but he's doing all those other things, you know, making smart plays, making the right play, setting up his teammates, just being a great passer, being a great defender and all those things. So sometimes he just doesn't get the credit that he is due. Um, you know, he had a couple, a couple of tough games. He wasn't involved offensively versus Cleveland. He had a rough shooting night versus Philly. But overall, he's shooting 45% from three-point range, and he is scoring 16 points per game. So Al Horford can certainly uh, stretch the floor, and he's becoming more comfortable playing center. He said that back in Atlanta, he didn't want to play center. But... He says he's becoming more comfortable playing that position because the league has become more perimeter oriented. So, and he's certainly somebody who fits that mold as a big guy who can spread the floor and can shoot the three and can defend out on the perimeter. So he's been playing uh, the four with Aaron Baines at the five. He may go back to the five once Marcus Morris comes back. That was always expected to be the case. Uh, you know, Marcus Morris, everyone predict- predicted that he would start at the four without the five. Marcus Morris actually hopes to make his regular season debut Monday versus the Spurs. He said that earlier in the week. Brad Stevens, on the other hand, uh, speaking to uh, Asherod Br- Blakely before that Miami game, Stevens said, well, Monday might be a little too optimistic. And he said that uh, Marcus Morris needs to get a hard practice in before he gets out there on the floor. So, uh, we still might have to uh, wait a couple of days. Of course, he had the the knee soreness. He joined the team late because of the assault trial. Uh, comes in, re- reports that he's not in great shape. And he needs to improve conditioning. And the Celtics are like, well, we'll just you know ease him back. He'll miss the first couple of games. There's a bigger picture. It's a long season. All of those things. So it, it will be nice to have him come back and have him contribute as a guy who can you know, be versatile, play multiple positions, stretch the floor, defend on the perimeter, all of those things. Nice to have another veteran in there with the Celtics relying so heavily on some of these young guys. Uh, So uh, Al Horford also talking about Aaron Baines with Baines at the five, Horford at the four. He says he loves having Aaron Baines on the team and loves playing with Aaron Baines. You know, he says it gives him the freedom to roam around on defense Uh, Horford called Baines an underrated defender and a very smart player. And he says the two of them are developing more chemistry on offense. And that's something that seems to be building, um, you know, I guess at a reasonable pace or whatever. I know people said, and Brad Stevens said this uh, early on, like maybe even in preseason, that the chemistry was building uh, more rapidly than they expected, which is nice. And then, you know, you're, you're building chemistry you're learning to play with one another, and then all of a sudden one of your major pieces, one of your starters, 
suffers a major injury. So you have to uh, adjust to that, and other guys have to kind of step up and you know play some additional minutes and stuff like that. But Aaron Baines, I love this guy. Such a good acquisition. Uh, seven points, five boards on the season, season average, playing about 20 minutes per game. Uh, over the first couple of games, his uh, numbers were more limited by fouls, but he's averaging about 20 uh, minutes per game, knocking down those mid-range shots with good consistent, consistently, uh, consistency and then challenging shots vertically, which he does so well. And Brad Stevens saying when he challenges shots vertically, the rule of verticality, he's extremely difficult to uh, score on. And I think we have seen that, and he provides that physical presence that's been missing uh, with this team over the last couple of years because this guy is 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 tough. He's big. He's strong. Tom Heinzen made a comment during the preseason, and he said, I was looking at this guy Aaron Baines in the shower, which was weird. He said something about looking at Aaron Baines in the shower and how you know he saw Aaron Baines and he's like this he's this huge guy and stuff like that. And it's like, well, Tommy, first of all, why are you looking at him in the shower? And second of all, like you don't need to see him in the shower to realize that he's a huge guy. Can't you just look at him at, on the court and say, well, that guy's big and strong? But apparently, Tommy is like. You know, he looks really big on the court, but if I could just see him in the shower, that was weird. <laughs> but we love uh, we love Tommy. And he recently just uh, celebrated his 61st anniversary with the Boston Celtics. It's been around 61 years. So uh, that's, you know, that's like almost as long as my father has been alive. So that's a long time, uh, obviously. And, you know. Part of the Celtics family bleeds green. You can't picture the Celtics without Tommy Heinsohn, so we love him. Uh, Aaron Baines, again, the big physical presence that they haven't had. You know, certainly, obviously, stronger and bigger and more physical than guys like Kelly Olynyk, Amir Johnson, Tyler Zeller. Uh, Reggie Miller uh, talking about Aaron Baines uh, on one of the national broadcasts said that uh, Daniel Tice is a better offensive player than Aaron Baines. And I was like, I, Daniel Tice is a better offensive player than Aaron Baines? Aaron Baines knocks down all of those mid-range jump shots with such consistency. You're like, how can Daniel Tice be a better uh, player offensively than Aaron Baines? But, you know, you watch him versus Miami, and Aaron Baines is obviously more athletic. Or, excuse me, Daniel Tice is obviously more athletic than Aaron Baines. And Daniel Tice can do some things offensively that Baines cannot do. And Daniel Tice, you know, has more range on his jump shot than uh, than Aaron Baines does. So, I mean, I maybe some more versatility with uh, Daniel Tice and more athleticism and all those things. So I don't know if he's a better player than... Um, Aaron Baines offensively right now, but Daniel Tice certainly seems to have a lot of potential, uh, and he's still adjusting to the NBA game, which is much different than playing in Europe. You know, it's his first time in the NBA, but you know he's he's got a lot of experience. He played in Europe for a long time professionally, and he's 25 years old. He's not coming into the league as a 19 year old. So, uh, Aaron Baines talking about how big and tough he is and how hard it is to knock this guy to the ground. Oh my God, Greek Freak almost killed Aaron Baines. That collision uh, at the Mecca 
Giannis Antetokounmpo is driving to the basket, and then Aaron Baines goes up vertically. Those two collide, and then, bam, Aaron Baines just hits the deck like a sack of potatoes, and everyone is just freaking out, you know? Like, this guy, like, Antetokounmpo just destroyed this guy who is so big, strong, physical, and I guess that means, you know, uh, the freak is, like, really strong, too, and stuff like that, although... In Aaron Baines's defense, uh, he was standing still, and then he goes up vertically, and the freak had like a full head of steam charging at the basket. So one guy is stationary, and the other guy's coming on strong, charging the basket. So maybe that had something to do with it. And I also want to say that the freak got the foul on that play, and. What happened to the rule of verticality on that one? Aaron Baines went straight up. So, I don't know. Maybe people are just, like, so shocked. They're like, I don't know what to do. Blow a whistle. It was a monster collision. You would think there would be a foul there. But he went straight up. Aaron Baines did. So, I don't know. Whatever. I'm not a ref, and that stuff is, you know, hard to figure out anyway. Because you you never know what the heck's a foul. But I don't know. Maybe a foul. Maybe it wasn't a foul. But he went up vertically, and then he just got demolished by... uh, Antetokounmpo, who is an absolute stud. Oh, my God. This guy looks like a transcendent player. You know, looks like he could be in that elite category at some point. Obviously, he's still going to work on his jump shooting and become a more consistent, more confident jump shooter. But he's got the size and he's got the length and he's got the athleticism. You know, like covering such a long uh, stretch of the court in three dribbles, as Reggie Miller pointed out. And this guy, when he... when when Aaron Bain, or excuse me, when uh, Antetokounmpo is driving to the basket, and then he does that spin move on you, it's like impossible to defend. So if this guy can get his jump shot down more consistently, he's going to be an elite player. I think he looks like a real tra- he looks like a transcendent player to me. Uh, Celtics improve defense and rebounding. And I think it all starts with the improved rebounding. Defensive rebounding percentage is third in the NBA right now. And, you know, a lot of people said this, that the Celtics would be an improved rebounding team compared to last season. And that basically because of their size, length, athleticism, uh, versatility. Their size and their length, their starters... Two through four are, or excuse me, two through five, their starters are six, seven, or taller, and they have a lot of athleticism there. So that helps with the rebounding, and it would be nice to have a guy who can give you 12 rebounds a night, but, I mean, rebounding is a, you know, it's a team effort. And as a group, they appear to be a better rebounding team. And, you know, keep in mind that Marcus Morris hasn't played yet, and not that he's known as a great rebounder, but, you know, he does... Uh, have some good size too, 6'9". So if he goes in as the four, uh, then you have another guy who is 6'7 or taller uh, playing in that starting lineup. Terry Rozier, also a great defender. Obviously not 6'7", but he is such an awesome uh, uh, rebounder as a, uh, as a guard. Terry Rozier, is, uh, that's one of the things he does exceptionally well uh, for a guard is rebound the basketball. All right, Gordon Hayward. Back to Gordon Hayward. I'm not going to talk about 
like being disappointed or anything like that. It is what it is, you know, and now Gordon Hayward is focusing on getting back, joining the team. And uh, they put out a recovery timeline not too long ago. They said he would be back in four to six months. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like, you know, he seems unlikely to return at this point. I mean, if he's back in time for the start of the playoffs, I mean, they're not going to rush him into a situation, especially if they don't think they're going to be able to win a title if maybe they can't beat Golden State or whatever. You know, I don't see them rushing rushing him back in because he's such an important player and so, you know, uh, important to their success for, you know, years to come. And he's, you know, he's going to be on the team, um, you know, for several years. So we don't want to rush him back into it. There's always a bigger picture. Uh, And you don't want to rush him into getting back in the playoffs and he plays his first games in months. And then all of a sudden he's thrown right into the fire playoff time when you're playing elite teams and elite players and everything's more physical and there are fewer whistles and it's up-tempo you know, you don't want to rush him back into that situation. <laughs> you know, I mean, having your first game, you know, since October being a playoff game versus LeBron James uh, in Cleveland or Milwaukee and Antetokounmpo, John Wall, Washington. Danny Ainge said that he is likely done for the season. Gordon Hayward's agent said he is likely done for the season, and they would certainly know they're not doctors, but they have all the latest information. Dislocated ankle, fractured tibia, four to six months uh, of recovery time. Phase one, the healing process, six to eight weeks. Phase two, light training, balance, and stretching, which could take several months. And then phase three, physical activity, cutting, jumping, shooting the basketball, no timetable for uh, phase number three. And this week it was reported that Gordon Hayward will rejoin the team take the lead role on video projects. So it's nice to see Gordon Hayward uh, being around the team, um, having the opportunity to not be out there on the floor, you know, but to just learn the game of basketball, learn more about playing under Brad Stevens, learn more about playing with the Celtics, taking the lead on these video projects, watching game film and stuff like that. So there's certainly a lot he can do still to improve his game. Um, it's good to see him involved. And I'm sure we'll get all sorts of updates throughout his recovery process, so he'll be around to some degree. But the Celtics granted an $8.4 million disabled player exception they have until March 10th to use it. Uh, They can use it to um, sign a free agent. They can claim a player who's been cut. They can trade for a player uh, they can trade for a player with one year left on their contract and the existing bird rights would carry over to the Celtics. And, you know, if you trade for a guy who's in the final year of his contract, you get bird rights. That means you can resign him next season and go over the cap. So some trade possibilities, Nerlens Noel, he comes with no bird rights though. So essentially he's a one year rental, uh, Jalil Okafor. He's fallen out of the rotation altogether in Philly. This guy they've been trying to move since last season. Um, he does have a club option for next season. Uh, has to be picked up by Tuesday, though. And if it's not picked up by Tuesday by Philly, this will be the last year of his contract. He's in year number three right now. So if he was traded, bird rights would transfer over. Pros with Jalil Okafor. Uh, he's a big or a good post-up big. He's got a lot of moves. 
Uh, cons, he doesn't have much range, and he doesn't defend very well. So those, those are two big cons right there. Uh, free agents, uh, Brandon Rush, cut by Milwaukee. He's had a lot of injuries, but he's a career uh, 40% three-point shooter. Mike Dunleavy also could shoot from the outside, but he's 37. Uh, Matt Baines is a capable veteran, a very tough player, also comes with a ton of baggage. Uh, Gerald Green is out there, baby. Gerald Green, who, of course, was a spark off the bench for the Celtics, I think, throughout the season, but in particular uh, the playoffs uh, versus Chicago when they pulled Amir Johnson from the starting lineup, inserted Gerald Green, and he was uh, a spark offensively, instantly providing the team with some more shooting, uh, providing the team with more ability to stretch the floor. Everybody loves Gerald Green. He's a great locker room guy. He's a cool dude. So... Who knows? And obviously, he already knows the Celtics system. Um, that would seem to make a lot of sense, but it sounds like Danny Ainge is going to be very patient here. We know Danny Ainge likes to practice patience. You know, everyone over three years, fireworks, fireworks, where's the fireworks? And then Danny Ainge is, you know, consistently disappointing certain fans, not all of us, but disappointing certain fans and at the same time saying we're waiting for the right move, we're doing what's best for the basketball team, putting ourselves in the best possible position to win now and uh, be good in the future, all of those things. So you know Danny Ainge will practice patience. And like I said, they have until uh, March to use this exception, March 10th. And uh, towards the end of the season, you know, when teams start, you know, giving up on the season, you see a lot of guys get cut. So maybe they do wait. Maybe they see who uh, they can pick up at that point. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, we love to talk about uh, player acquisitions and roster moves as Celtics fans. So that's something that people will keep an eye on. But again, it might not happen for several months. March is still a long way away. Celtics taking on San Antonio Monday night. Perhaps we see Marcus Morris. Perhaps we don't. Perhaps he returns versus Sacramento. But uh, Celtics back in action Monday night, and they've been a fun team to watch despite not having Gordon Hayward, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, obviously Kyrie, Al Horford, Aaron Baines. It's fun to watch if you love basketball. So and then you know you're getting some contributions from Daniel Tice. You're getting some contributions from um, from Shane Larkin, Shemi Ojale. Obviously, Marcus Morris can be hot at times. Also frustrating, but he can be fantastic. Terry Rozier, um, you know, typical Terry with the speed and the athleticism and the and the, and the rebounding and all of those things. So it's been uh, it's been fun to watch. Um, and I'm looking forward to Monday night versus San Antonio. Well, that's it for me. Uh, Eric Vandenbosch with the Celtics pod. Take her easy, go seize.